Chapter 12 of Railstone Luck by Andre Norton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 12 The Railstones Bring Home a Reluctant Guest. The swamper was lying on his back, his eyes closed. From a great purple welt across his forehead, the blood oozed sluggishly. When Val touched him, he moaned faintly. Val, are you hurt? What's the matter? Ricky was upon them like a whirlwind out of the bush. Jeems stopped a nasty one, her brother panted. Is he? She dropped down in the dust beside them. He's knocked out and he'll have a bad headache for some time, but I don't think it's any worse than that. Ricky had pulled out a microscopic bit of handkerchief and was dabbing at the blood in an amateurish way. Jeems moaned and turned his head as if to get away from her ministrations. Where's Rupert? And Sam? Val looked towards the path. They were with you, weren't they? Ricky shook her head. No, that was just what he called creating a diversion. For all I know, they're busy at home. Her brother straightened. Then we've got to get out of here, fast. Those two left because they were rattled. But when they have had a chance to cool off, they'll be back. What about Jeems? Take him with us, of course. We won't be able to manage the canoe. But you've brought the outboard, so we'll go in that and tow the canoe. We ought to have something to cover his head. Val regarded the bleeding wound doubtfully. Without answering, Ricky leaned forward and began systematically going through Jean's pockets. In a second, she found a key. Val took it from her and hobbled up the cabin steps. For a wonder, he thought thankfully, the key was the right one. The lock clicked and he went in. Like the clearing, the interior of the one-room shack was neat, a place for everything and everything in its place. Under the window in the far wall was a small chest of some dark polished wood. Save for its size, it was not unlike the chests the railstones had found in their storeroom. Opposite it was a wooden cot, the covers smoothly spread. A stool, a blackened cook stove, and a solid table with an oil lamp were the extent of the furnishings. Lines of traps hung on the walls, along with the wooden boards for the stretching of drying skins, and there was a half-finished grass basket lying on top of the chest. Val hefted a stone-bare jug. They had no time to hunt for a spring, and if this contained water, they would need it. At the resulting gurgle from within, he set it by the door and returned to drop the cot off pillow and the single coarse but clean sheet. Ricky tore the sheet and made a creditable job of washing and bandaging the ugly bruise. Jeems drank greedily when they offered him water, but he did not seem to recognize them. In answer to Ricky's question of how he felt, he muttered something in the swamp French of the Cajuns. But he was uneasy until Val locked the cabin door and put the key in his hand. How are we going to get him to the boat? asked Ricky suddenly. Carry him? But Val... For the first time she looked at her brother, as if she really saw him. Val, you're hurt. Just a little stiff, he hastened to assure her. Our late visitors play rather rough. We'll manage all right. I'll take his shoulders and you his feet. They wavered drunkenly along the path. Twice, Val stumbled and regained his balance just in time. Ricky had laid the pillow across their burden's feet, declaring that she would need it when they got to the boat. Val passed the point of aching misery. When he thought that he could not shuffle forward another step, 
and now he came into what he had heard called second wind. By fixing his eyes on a tree or a bush a step or two ahead and concentrating only upon passing that one, and then that, and that, he got through without disgracing himself. At the bayou at last they wriggled Jeems awkwardly into the boat. Val had no doubt that a woodsman might have done the whole job better in much less time and without a tenth of the effort they had expended. But all he could ever wonder afterward was how they ever did it at all. It was when Ricky had made their passenger as comfortable as she could in the bottom of the boat, steadying his head across her knees, that her brother partially relaxed. Val, you run the engine, she said without looking up. He dragged himself towards the stern of the boat, remembering too late when he had cast off that he had not taken the canoe in tow. The engine coughed, sputtered, and then settled down to a steady putt-putt. They were off. Val, do you... Do you think he's badly hurt? He dared not look down. It required all his powers of concentration on what lay before them to keep his hand steady. No, we'll get a doctor when we get back. He'll come around again in no time. Jeems, I mean. But would he? Head injuries were sometimes more serious than they seemed, Val remembered dismally. It was not until they came out into the main bayou that Jeems roused again. He looked up at Ricky in a sort of dull surprise, and then his gaze shifted to Val. What? We won the war. Val tried to grin, an operation which tore his mask of dried blood. Thanks to Ricky. And now we're going home. At that, Jeems made a violent effort to sit up. No. His English deserted him, and he broke into impassioned French. Yes, Val replied firmly as Ricky pushed the swamper down. Of course you're coming with us. You've had a nasty knock on the head that needs attention. I'm not a going to no hospital. His eyes burned into Val's. Certainly not, cried Ricky. You're bound for our guest room. Now keep quiet. We'll be there soon. I ain't a going, he declared mutinously. Don't be silly, Ricky scolded him. We're taking you. Does Val have to come and hold you down? I can't. His eyes flickered from Val's face to hers. There was something more than independence behind that firm refusal. I ain't a-going there. Why not? He seemed to shrink from her. It ain't fitten, he murmured. How perfectly silly, laughed Ricky. But Val thought that he understood. Because of the secret you know, he asked quietly. The pallor beneath Jeems' heavy tan vanished in a flush of slow-burning red. I reckon so, he muttered. But he met Val's eyes squarely. Let's leave all explanations until later, Val suggested. I'll play the haunt. The confession came out of the swamper in a rush. Then you were my faceless ghost? Jeems tried to nod, and the action printed a frown of pain between his eyes. Why? Didn't you want us to live there? asked Ricky gently. I was hunting. What for? The frown became one of puzzlement. I don't know. His voice trailed off into a thin whisper as his eyes closed wearily. Val signaled Ricky to keep quiet. Ahoy there! Along the bank towards them came Rupert, and after him Sam. Beyond them lay the railstone landing. Val headed inshore. Just what does this mean, Val? Has there been an accident? The irritation in Rupert's voice became hot concern. An intended one, his brother replied. 
we've got the real victim here with us. They tied up to the landing, and Sam came down to hand out Jeems, who apparently had lapsed into unconsciousness again. You'd better call a doctor, Val told Rupert. Jeems has a head wound. But Rupert had already taken charge of affairs with an efficiency, which left Val humbly grateful. The boy didn't even move to leave the boat. It was better just to sit and watch other people scurry about. Sam had started for the house, carrying Jeems as if the long-legged swamper was the same age and size as his own small son. Ricky dashed on ahead to warn Lucy. Rupert had Sam too by the collar and was giving him instructions for catching Dr. Lefrode, who was probably making his morning rounds and might be found at the sugar mill, where one of the feeders had injured his hand. Sam too's sister had seen the doctor on his way there a scant ten minutes earlier. Val watched all this activity dreamily. Everything would be all right now that Rupert was in charge. He could relax. Now, his brother turned upon Val, just what did... What's the matter with you? Tired, I guess, Val said ruefully. But Rupert was already in the boat, getting the younger boy to his unsteady feet. Can you make it to the house? he asked anxiously. Sure, just give me an arm till I get on the landing. But when Val had crawled up on the levee, he did not feel at all like walking to the house. Then Rupert's arm was about his thin shoulders, and he thought that he could make it if he really tried. The garden path seemed miles long, and it was not until Val had the soft cushions of the hall couch under him that he felt able to tell his story. But at that moment the short, stout doctor came through the door in a rush. Sam, too, had led him to believe that half the household had been murdered. At first, Dr. Lefrode started towards Val, until, in alarm, the boy swung his feet to the floor and sat up, waving the man to the stairway where Ricky hovered to act as guide. Then Val was alone, even Sam, too, having edged upstairs to share in the excitement. The boy sank back on his pillows and wondered where their later silence were now and why they had been so determined to learn Jeems' secret. As Ricky had said once before, the railstones seemed to have been handed a gigantic tangle without ends, only middle sections, and had been told to unravel it. Boot heels clicked on the stone flooring. Val turned his head cautiously and tried not to wince. Rupert was coming in with a bowl of water, from which steam still arose. Across his arm lay a towel, and in his other hand was their small first aid kit. Suppose we do a little patching, he suggested. Your face at present is not all it might be. What did you and your swamp friend do? Run into a mowing machine? He swapped delicately at the cut the boss had opened across Val's cheekbone and at another by his mouth. I thought it might be that for a moment, a mowing machine I mean. No, we just met a couple of gentlemen, enterprising fellows who wanted to see more of this commodious mansion of ours. Val's words faded into a sharp hiss as Rupert applied iodine with a liberal hand. They seemed to think that Jeems knew a lot about Pirate's Haven, and they were going to persuade him to tell all. Only, it didn't turn out the way they had planned. Due to you? Rupert eyed his brother intently. The boy's face was swollen, almost out of recognition, and he didn't like the sudden talkativeness. Due partly to me, but mostly to Ricky. She, uh, created the necessary diversion. I had sort of lost interest at the time. I knew so little about gouging and biting and clinches. 
dirty fighters? Well, soiled anyway. But if the boss isn't nursing a cracked wrist, it isn't my fault. I don't know what Jeems did to Red, but he too departed in a damaged condition. Do you have to do that? Val demanded testily, squirming, as Rupert ran his hands lightly over the boy's shoulders and down his ribs, touching every bruise to tingling life. Just seeing the extent of the damage, he explained. You don't have to see, I can feel, Val snapped pettishly. Rupert got to his feet. Come on. Where? Oh, a hot bath and then bed. You'll be taking an interest in life again about this time tomorrow. I think Lefrode had better see you too. No, Val objected. I'm not a child. Rupert grinned. If you'd rather I carried you. There was no opposing Rupert when he was in that mood, as his brother well knew. Val got up slowly. The program that Rupert had outlined was faithfully carried out. Half an hour later, Val found himself between sheets, blinking at the ceiling drowsily. When two cracks overhead wavered together of their own accord, his eyes closed. Still sleeping? whispered someone at his side much later. Yes, best thing for him. Was he badly hurt? No, just banged around more than was good for him. Val opened his eyes. It must have been close to dusk, for the sunlight was red across the bedclothes. Rupert stood by the window, and Ricky was in the doorway, a tray of covered dishes in her hands. Hello, Val sat up, grimacing at the twinge of pain across his back. What day is this? Rupert laughed. Still Tuesday. How's Jeems? Doing very well. I've had to have Rupert in to frighten him into staying in bed, Ricky said. The doctor thinks he ought to be there a couple of days at least, but Jeems doesn't agree with him. Between keeping Jeems in bed and keeping Rupert out of the swamp, I've had a full day. Rupert sat down on the foot of the bed. You'd know this boss and Red again, wouldn't you? Of course. Then you'll probably have a chance to identify them. There was a grim look about Rupert's jaw. Ricky's told me all that you overheard. I don't know what it means, but I've heard enough for me to get in touch with Lafleur. He'll be out tomorrow morning. And once we get something to work on... I'm beginning to feel sorry for our swamp visitors, Val interrupted. They'll be sorry, hinted Rupert darkly. How about you, Val? Beginning to feel hungry? Now that you mention it, I am discovering a rather hollow ache in my center section. Supper ready? Half an hour. I'll bring you up a tray, began Ricky. But Val had thrown back the sheet and was sitting on the side of the bed. Oh, no, you don't. I'm not an invalid yet. Ricky glanced at Rupert and then left. Val reached for his shirt defiantly, but his brother raised no objection. The painful stiffness Val had felt at first wore off, and he was able to move without feeling as if each muscle were tied in cramping knots. May I pay Jeems a visit? he asked as they went out into the hall. Rupert nodded toward a door across the corridor. In there. He's a stubborn piece of goods. Reminds me of you at times. If he'd ever get rid of that scowl of his, he'd be even more like you. He warms to Ricky, but you'd think I was a Chinese torturer the way he acts when I go in. There was a shade of irritation in Rupert's voice. Maybe he's afraid of you. But what for? Rupert stared at the boy in open surprise. Well, you do have rather a commanding air at times, Val counted. If Ricky had told Rupert nothing of Jeems' confession, he wasn't going to. 
So that's what you really think of me, observed Rupert. Go reason with that wildcat of yours if you want to. I'm beginning to believe that you are two of a kind. He turned abruptly down the hall. Val opened the door of the bedroom. The sunlight was fading fast, and already the corners of the large room were filled with the grey of dusk. But light from the windows swept full across the bed and its occupant. Val hobbled stiffly toward it. Hello. The brown face on the pillow did not change expression as Val greeted the swamper. How do you feel now? Better. Jeems answered shortly. I'm good, but they won't let me up. The doc says you're in for a couple of days, Val told him. Somehow, Jeems looked smaller, shrunken, as he lay in that oversized bed. And he had lost that air of indolent arrogance which had made him seem so independent in their swamp and garden meetings. It was as if Val were looking down upon a younger and less confident edition of the swamper he had known. What does he think? There was urgency in that question. Who's he? Your brother. Rupert? Why, he's glad to have you here, Val answered. Does he know about... Val shook his head. Tell him, ordered the swamper. I ain't a-going to stay under his roof lessen he knows. Tain't fitten. At this clear-cut statement of the laws of hospitality, Val nodded. All right, I'll tell him. But what were you after here, Jeems? I'll have to tell him that too, you know. Was it the Civil War treasure? Jeems turned his head slowly. No. Again the puzzled frown twisted his straight, finely marked brows. What do I want with treasure? I don't know what I was looking for. My grandpappy. Val, supper's ready, came Rupert's voice from the hall. Val half turned to go. I've got to go now, but I'll be back later, he promised. You'll tell him? Jeems stabbed a finger at the door. Yes, after supper, I promise. With a little sigh, Jeems relaxed and burrowed down into the softness of the pillow. I'll be waiting, he said. End of chapter 12 Recording by Gabriel Glenn